Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Will Christensen. Will is the co-founder of Data Automation, a company specializing in software automation and integration processes for e-commerce sellers. He additionally leads business development for Roundsphere, a tech incubator dedicated to developing new opportunities through software. Will's passion is tinkering with cutting-edge technology, apps, and systems to create innovative solutions to both common and unusual problems across business and marketing. Today, we're going to talk about the function automation plays in marketing, when and how it should be used, and what you need to know for the future. We'll learn what has worked from Will's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Will, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Well, to start off, I would love for you to share how you got to where you are today, leading that automation. Quite frankly, something I'm fascinated with that I am trying to have take over our entire company, but people actually call you the Tony Stark of software. So can you share with us how you've gotten to where you are today? So, um, <clears throat> well, one, I'm a huge Marvel fan, so that helps. Okay. Um, so watching Iron Man and, and, and the way that he, you know, just seems to be able to pull together and make things out of nothing or <clears throat> create random stuff. I've always been fascinated by the idea of inventing, um, always been fascinated by the idea of creating something new, creating something from nothing. Um, it's always been something that I've, 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 you know, wanted to do. I'm, I'm, I'm that kid who loved to take things apart and I wouldn't always put them back together. Um, I, I have always wanted to know why and how things worked. Um, and so, uh, I, I, I kind of dug in to kind of see how the world worked. Um, and when you combine that curiosity um, with what I would call drive, my wife might call it laziness. Um, you, you combine those two things, that curiosity for making the world a better place or for, for figuring out how things work with, with a drive to do things in an efficient way. Um, you kind of naturally spin out and become someone who is basically driven by automating processes and looking at the world through a lens of what if. Like, what if we could just make it so that you never had to manually key in that order again? Or what if we could make it so you never had to fill out that form again? Maybe it would just automatically fill itself out. Um, I've always been fascinated by what could be done. Um, and so through a lot of uh, digging in and finding different situations or um, coming up against manual problems that, you know, people would give me a manual task, um, my, my grandfather, uh, gave me the unique opportunity to go out and well, it wasn't that unique to shovel, shovel the walk, um, for his apartment business. And I shoveled and shoveled. I mean, it was, and it was endless. We live in Utah. So in the, in the 
wintertime, we get a fair amount of snow here. And as a landlord, you have to keep those walks clear. And I really didn't like shoveling the walk. Um, and I had seen somewhere, this is back in 2002, I think, something like that. Um, maybe 2000. No, it would have been, it would have been a little after 2005, something like that. Um, I had seen somewhere that you could build your own website. Um, and so this is 15 years ago. And I was like, well, I'm going to teach myself how to do it. And so I went in and I told my grandpa like, Hey, in a couple of college classes, like we had done Google sites, like, and I had like basic HTML class that I took in high school. So I didn't know anything really about building websites, but I knew more than he did. Mm -hmm. And I went into him and I said, Hey, how about, how about I build you instead of you, you pay me the same hourly rate that you would to pay me to, to do this. And I'll build you a website instead. He said, do you know how to do that? And I said, well, I've, I've done it for some classes in college and I've done some stuff, but I'll figure it out. And I probably spent 80 or 90 hours teaching myself how to use a very rudimentary version of a CMS. Like this is mm -hmm. before WordPress was really, I mean, WordPress was out there, but it, I mean, there were no real estate plugins. There were no anything. So I taught myself how to, how to just get in there and do that. And so your grandfather know. got a hell of a deal, I am sure, with the amount of what you actually were paid and the time you invested. Hey, you know, it worked and, and it was exciting. So I don't know. You asked me, how did I get here? It, a lot of tinkering, figuring out um, how, to, how to look at the world. And so I didn't want to shovel walks. So I went to my grandfather and pitched him on, well, instead of shoveling walks, how about I build you a website? I am an all believer in data automation. I mean, there is nothing at our company that infuriates me more than having someone touch something more than once. I mean, I want it touched and then I want it to go into a database or we use Monday, um, which I love. We have our own proprietary database too, but however we can create systems in place where we can automate it and we can have spelled out, here's a how to, this is what you do. And then it kind of goes off on its own and you can use your intellect to actually take it to the next level versus using worker bees just to sit there and do data entry is a fascinating world for me as a business owner. And one that I think that every business owner and marketer should be in. But they're not. Mm -hmm. Not everyone actually embraces data automation right now, do mm -hmm. they? Nope, they don't. And it's interesting to see, I mean, the ones that do and the ones that don't. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of the ones that don't, a lot of the reason I think people run into that is they don't, they don't actually see the pitfalls that come from not recognizing where data automation can, can be a powerful way to, to change the way that things are going on. Or they tried it and failed. Um, it's not the most simple thing in the entire world. There are specific ways of going about it that, that will help you overcome some of those challenges. Um, I mean, automation at its core is what, I mean, you think about businesses and services that are being provided in a lot of ways um, that they, they really are about automating something. We actually started our own podcast as well called Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. And we chose the name Automate, Delegate, Eliminate because we find that most things in the world are, are kind of in one of those three facets, automating, delegating, or, or eliminating. And that's how we create value. You create value by taking a process that was manual and automating it. You create process a, a value by delegating that to another individual, or you create that value by you know eliminating a, a process that's slowing the company down. So it's 
it's such a powerful thing. And, and it, if, if done incorrectly, it can be a really disastrous, frustrating thing. I still have things sometimes that I'll get into. And I'll be like, oh, there's got to be a better way for this. I mean, a good example of that. Have you ever tried to find an app out there that will help you? So, so if you've ever heard of this, this trend, there, there's a no code trend out there right now okay. where they're like, hey, if you want to, you can create um, an app like a, 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 a like an Android mm-hmm. or an iOS app, and you can do that with no code. There's a yep. bunch of solutions out there that'll help you. Um, what are some of the issues that are stopping marketers from doing this? Well, I would say, especially for marketers, I mean, marketing is really something that is a creative thing, right? You you have to look at a problem and say, okay, how do I get the word out about this solution? And um, most of the time, that means thinking outside the box or thinking at a, uh, I mean, I think the the longer we go in the world we're in, the more creative you have to get um, because, you know, the traditional way of reaching out to people, I mean, think about direct mail, think about just a, a straight old email. Those two methods of communication are so overused by people that aren't creative, that if you're not going to be creative about it, you might as well just not reach out. And so um, what I've found is it's important that you, when you, when you decide to automate something, when you decide to look at those pieces, um, you have to realize that that creativity is not something that a computer can do. Mm -hmm. Um, Computers can't just, you know, come up with a new creative idea. That's one of the things, one of the God-given things that we have is the ability to create. And so the the comment you made about people not automating because they're worried about getting rid of jobs. Um, if you have someone whose job really is going to be replaced by a robot, that individual needs to step it up a notch and, and use that brain they were given to create value. Um, you know, there, there are definitely things where a checklist must be followed. Um, and, and thank goodness we have people who are willing to follow those checklists. I, I don't, I don't mean that, um, you know, you have to find somebody who always colors outside the lines. Um, but having somebody who can follow a checklist and use that human intuition to go through there is powerful. So, um, what, what I tell people that, that are concerned about, well, you know, I don't want to automate or, or, you know, one of the reasons I've found that people don't automate is because they're the low men on the totem pole. And so they feel like their job is going to be replaced. So speaking to that individual um, who's in there, if you can find a way to take pieces of your job and build a system that's renewable and you find the right boss, the right employer, they're going to share that wealth with you. They're going to share that, that opportunity. And if they're not, go find another employer because they are out there. There are people out there who are willing to reward you for creating that sort of value inside a company. Yeah, because as your business is going to grow, you're going to be getting more money into that business, which is going to open up the doors to create new growth opportunities for employees of that business. And that's how it's supposed to flow and work. And so it's not a dead end. Oh my gosh, I'm automated. So all of this data that I'm slowly antagonizing typing in and having issues getting it from one sheet to another doesn't have to happen anymore or Mm -hmm. something can trigger and a process can be put in place or an email can be sent out that I already wrote the template for and I can actually spend my time 
working on helping the business grow in whatever way or find new things to do within that business and continue my own education and growth versus just being stale and entering data nonstop. Yep. Oh, and, and it's, I mean, my wife talks about it sometimes where she says that the, the manual entry is actually soothing sometimes. And I thought, man, I've got to find, I actually, I, I said that on a call once and another entrepreneur was like, would you mind if I had your wife take a personality test? Cause I need to find people who find that soothing. Um, and so we, we, he actually paid for like a $200 personality test for her to take just so that he could see like, okay, how, you know, what are we looking for here? Um, and, and it's kind of fascinating to understand that there are people out there that are, that are more comfortable with it than others. Sure. And I think I'm kind of one of the, like, it's my antithesis. I am absolutely not cut out for doing the same thing over and over again. So, um, it, it gets me in trouble sometimes because part of being in a business that generates value is that it, it, it does do the same thing over and over again. And you have a standard operating procedure. Um, I had to find other people who are willing to help me follow some of those processes. I pay uh, an executive assistant, um, you know, on a monthly basis and she helps me follow the process. Um, and that's kind of the way that I figured out like, okay, in order to survive, I can't just keep, you know, creating a new and different widget and throwing it down the pipe because everybody chokes on it. You just can't do it. So it's kind of an interesting process. You have to see where, where you are in the world of automation. What do you, what do you see yourself as in the world of standard operating procedures? Where do you fit in? Yeah, if someone gives me another Excel document, I think my eyes will just crisscross over Google Docs and Excel Docs to me. Don't make a whole lot of sense because they are not easily automatable. And so that's why I love platforms like a Monday and Asana, a Trello, all those different project management systems or customized software where you can actually pull in triggers and you can use Zapier and it can connect to all those other software platforms that you're probably spending tens of thousands of dollars on as a business nowadays in many cases and make them all talk to each other. And that's what you do. That's the magic mm -hmm. of what you do behind the scenes of making those different things have a conversation. Correct. Yeah, no, we, we take Asana and we push it into a Google spreadsheet or we take it from a Google spreadsheet and put it back into Asana. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that's actually really powerful, you mentioned like spreadsheets can be really difficult, you know, like, like, oh, like project management in a spreadsheet, that's painful. Um, one thing I discovered recently is that a spreadsheet is actually pretty powerful because really all it is, is a grid and it's got boundaries, right? I, I have to put things in cell one or cell two. And when I put this in cell one and I put this in cell two, you start to kind of get a, a feel for what the data should look like. And so I've found that oftentimes it's really powerful to, you know, if you're taking that like, okay, we're going to keep track of our to-do list on the whiteboard. It, you know, take it from the whiteboard and put it into a Google spreadsheet. It'll force you to decide, okay, now this has to have some structure. And then after you start to figure out, oh, this data looks like that data, I can start to line up those columns. Then you can start to decide, oh, now it's time to go and graduate to something else. So I, I tend to see like, you know, whiteboarding, then a spreadsheet, then push it over into something like Miro, 
or you know that mirrors more in the whiteboarding fa facet but take it to like an air table air table is kind of a spreadsheet-esque kind of piece but it, it forces you to choose the data type and then you kind of get down the road but what i've discovered is that you can't really decide what you're doing or how you're going to automate until you've done it at least five times manually that's one of the tricks that i throw out for people like if you're going to automate something don't even begin to automate it until you've done it five times manually um, one thing I've discovered that, you know, as you're looking at it for those five times, it isn't until the third, fourth or fifth time that you're like, okay, this is, this is a for realsies process. It's, it's going to be something that we're going to do again. Until then, you don't know that. You don't know that it's going to come up again. Right. It, could, it could be a one-time thing or it could be a three-time thing. Then it just evaporates or it goes away. So. What are some of the, so you've just talked about the first step. So, you know, if you're whiteboarding, take it to an Excel or a Google sheet so that you can column, put everything in columns and make sure that the data is repeatable. And then you're taking it to the next step of um, kind of bringing that back into more of an automation effect. And you've already done the proof of making sure that what your data is actually needs automation. Mm -hmm. You're going to be touching it enough times in life to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? So if I were to take the whole process beginning to end, I tell people it has to follow a litmus test. And this is a litmus test I share on almost every podcast I get on. Do it five times manually. Okay, that's the first step. And then watch how long it takes you. If it takes you more than five minutes, or excuse me, more than 15 minutes a day, more than an hour a week, or more than an hour a month, you've probably got something that you could find some ROI in automating it. If it takes any less time than that, it's, it's going to be hard to find the ROI. And so there's an opportunity there to say, okay, you know what? Um, this isn't really that valuable. Um, then when you're doing it, let's say that you do those things, you got to answer three questions around the process that you're taking. Where is the data now? Where does the data need to go? And what needs to happen to in the data in between? And so when I say data, where's the report now? Where is the, what, what makes up that report and where was the data that makes up that report? And what did you do to mash it all together to create something that actually can take you where you want to go? So, so those three questions, where's the data now? Where does it need to go? What needs to happen to it in between? Coupled with that, that litmus test of, okay, more than 15 minutes, more than an hour, more than, I, I call, I'll call it um, 15 one, one. So, you know, more than 15 minutes, more than an hour, more than an hour uh, on, a, on a weekly or monthly basis. That's mm -hmm. where you really start to say, okay, it's time to dig into this. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously digging into this does not mean figuring out how to do it yourself. You made lots of money by no longer snow shoveling and you are driven to learn all things inside and out on how to build a website for your grandfather, a new mm -hmm. proposition that you did. Your proposition here is not for all of our listeners to actually go in and study how to all of a sudden be a data automator. So how can someone find a good data automation company to work with? I mean, we'll share your information, obviously, yeah. but what are some of the things someone should be looking for in a company to figure out whether they would be a good fit if they know their stuff or yep. maybe not so much? So um, if you're familiar with where you can find freelancing help, um, you know, Upwork is a fantastic place to do it. There's another company out there called FreeUp that's recently come to the, the playing field for that sort of thing as well. And, and what I tell people is when you're writing that job post, um, answer those three questions in the job post. 
where's the data now? Where does it need to go? What needs to happen to it in between? And put that in your job post. If you'll throw that in your job post, nine times out of 10, you will come back with a much, much more solid uh, quote on what's being done. Mm -hmm. um, I would recommend point blank asking, um, have you automated in XYZ system before? Or have you automated in CRMs before? So there are categories. So it's, some people come to me and say, have you ever automated inside? And they'll name some really random CRM I've never heard of. And I'll say no, but I've spent hundreds of hours inside CRMs. And you know, when you're talking about a deal, an opportunity, a contact and an account, there's only so many ways that you can display that. Um, and most of the time I can help you unless it's a very customized specific CRM. So dig into the industry experience with the type of software, the type of data you're trying to look into, ask them point blank and don't just be satisfied with the, Oh yeah, we've done that before. Ask for a specifics like, Oh, okay. How many times? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but with CRMs specifically CRMs, tell me about some of that. You find that um, as a salesperson, one of your jobs is to say yes. And so when you get a yes from a salesperson, get specific. Ask for, okay, great. I, I hear that you said yes to that. Can you be more specific? Can you give me a couple of examples of, of ways that you've done that? And I find that that helps you get past the resume level or the surface level stuff that you get from people. Mm -hmm. You can really start to find out, okay, what's really behind this and where does it go? Because it can be really hard as, you know, whether you're a business owner or in a position of making decisions for the company, if you don't know how to do it yourself, it can be mm -hmm. very hard to vet out who does. Mm -hmm. No. Sometimes. So yeah. one thing that I've, I've done is I've, I've had one, I've hired two companies at the same time and then I have them vet each other. Um, so you, you, you get two or three people to work on the same project mm -hmm. And they'll start to use vernacular and you'll say, okay, so what makes you awesome? And they'll, they'll name off three things like, oh, we're fast or, you know, whatever it is. And then you take those same three things and you go ask the other company, how do you do these three things? And they say, anything else, what makes you awesome? And then you take whatever else they said and you go back to the first company and say, well, how do you do this? And so you can start to, if you don't know how to do what it is. And then the other thing I've done is I've actually had them review each other's work. So I take a milestone on a project and I say, okay, go ahead and do this. And then they'll do it. And then I'll say, okay, now your next milestone is to review the work that another freelancer did who did exactly what you were supposed to do as well. And they did it differently than you. And I want to hear why you think they went about it that way. And whoever, so, so there's, a, there's a humility aspect to this where you have to find somebody who's willing to be humble enough to recognize when, like sometimes I, I've done it before and they'll get it and they'll look at them like, wow he did a better job of that than I did. Um, and here's why I'm more likely to hire that guy than the one who gets it. And like, I'm not looking at that. That's somebody else's work. Like, and they're too, they're too prideful about it. So there's a lot of different ways you can hire people to do things that you don't know how to do. With data automation, what are some of the unique things you've seen people do and have success at? Because it's not just turning a spreadsheet into something that, you know, can step it up. What else can you do? I mean, the, the crazy thing is with the technology that's out there today, I mean, it is possible to automate all sorts of things that you are not currently automating, that you're not even thinking are possible. I mean, 
you can build a chatbot on your website that'll actually make sales for you. You can build a chatbot on your website that'll push, you know, individuals one way or another. You can automate phone systems that are actually very easy to create a, a very custom phone system that texts you when anybody presses one or, you know, I mean, there's so many different, I mean, that, that question is so hard because there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, just to give you an idea, I'm not going to say, uh, I use a different keyword than Alexa, but I have an Alexa at home and I have an Alexa that I can say Alexa trigger Alex home. And it will shoot a text message off from my phone to our neighbor who often has my daughter over at her house and say, Hey, can you send our daughter home? Which you're like, well, you could just be like, okay, Google, send a text message, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but that was more words. So like, like there's, it, I mean, it's endless in terms of, of what's possible um, for what's there. So I, I like to tell people, don't, don't get stuck on what can and can't be automated. Learn to use Google in a way that you're going to find what can be automated in a very, very fast way. So learn to speak Google is probably the way I would say that. Like learn to figure out how to phrase it like the, like the, the masses phrase things. Watch for what Google's suggesting. When you type something in, go read through the suggestions on the bottom of that list and say, oh, that's probably a more common way to ask this question. Click on it. But, you know, use that, rephrase your question until you find out how everybody else is asking it. And somebody's probably done something with it already. And that actually holds true for SEO too, and long tail keywords and anything with Google. If you're trying to figure out how to market your business, you should see what other people are looking for when they type yep. into Google things that are about your business. What do, the, what do people call you? So I didn't know, you know, when people said, well, what's data automation? I was like, uh, I, uh, it took it me almost, your data. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it was, they were like, what do you do? Why well, I automate data. I actually found out that there's a technical term called systems integrator. It's a, it's an actual type of business. And it took me six months before I figured that out, that that's what it was called. So one of the ways that the way I actually found out is I was talking to a client um, and he's like, so what do you guys do? And I explained it and he's like, Oh, so you're a systems integrator. And I was like, yes, Google. So I like I, systems integrator is like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's exactly what we do. So I mean, go out and talk to the people who are buying from you or, or would buy from you and find out what do you call what I do? What do you call what I do? And that's going to tell you a lot about how you can, you know, build a brand and figure out, you know, how to do what you're doing. And everything that you're working with, I mean, you're working with getting HubSpot to talk to Monday to talk to whatever software platform Big you commerce. have out there. Yeah, so that it just it. keeps on going so that you're pulling data from one platform to another platform, um, often over to an Excel or a PowerPoint or a Word doc. So now you have sales proposals that are being automated basically based off of your whole layout if you have a template. But really the sky's the limit as far as what you could be doing. Email letters to people, um, triggering sequences. Oh yeah. I mean, you could do, let's say that you're an e-commerce company and you want to trigger a thank you letter. There are actually companies out there that will literally receive data from you and handwrite a thank you letter for you specific to that product, specific to that individual signed by you at the bottom and, and send that off. So you, you essentially have a personal assistant who sends off a thank you letter for every time somebody orders an item on your website. I mean, it's, it's shocking how much um, you can really do as you start to pick it apart and see where it goes. 
And so you can take this whole world of software and virtual assistants out there and get them to be an army working for your company mm -hmm. um, at a much more affordable cost than hiring all these different heads to be full-time. Yep. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to see, uh, it's all about writing down that process and, mm -hmm. and finding those individuals and handing it to the right group. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any mistakes that you see people make along the way with thinking that that automation is going to solve it all for them? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things we tell people to watch for is if you're going to automate, you really got to be careful with um, doing like, like if you're looking at, okay, what should I automate? How should I automate this? Where, where does it go? Um, be careful with automating things that have anything to do with billing. Um, so, and it's mostly with client expectations. So we automate billing all the time. We have, you know, an automated once a month bill that we send to people. Um, as long as you're, you know, looking at that and you're, you're, you're seeing how it should work, that's not an issue, but let's say that you send a bill to a client, they're not expecting it. And it's before the project is actually done. The sentiment behind that bill, when that bill comes, generally you don't pay for it until it's done. And so you have to be really careful with some of that. Um, you know, what are the repercussions of, of what I'm going to see? Another thing that I often see missed in automation steps is they don't recognize that, you know, in order to automate this process, so, so they look at their end report and they're like, okay, this report's awesome. I got all of that data by downloading it from Shopify, or I got all that download that data by downloading it from Marketo or from, from HubSpot. Um, they don't realize that they also went and got another report from monday.com that augments the data at the end. And so they go start automating along the process. They don't, they go look for a, a tool that connects all this different stuff and they forget that there's an alternate system that actually makes that data really valuable at the end of the day. And so when you're answering those questions, where's the data now, where does it need to go? What needs to happen in between? You've really got to consider what are all the systems? Where is all the data now? Not where it's just a part of the data because it, you find that a lot of times that's the most important piece and that's when you left off. The actual story that you're trying to tell at the mm -hmm. very end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right because if you're sitting there and automating from one platform to another, you might only be pulling over certain cells, certain data sets. So you don't have the full story necessarily anywhere anymore once you have this system in place. Yep. Yep. So you got to got to you really got to see um, where is that data, and if it's in multiple systems, choose as you automate, choose so that you can get all of that data to go where you need it to go. So, what are other insights that you'd like to share about automation that our listeners really should know about? I mean, one thing I would say is know your tools. Um, you would be surprised how often you're sitting on top of something that actually is quite powerful. And the only reason you don't know it does that is because you haven't taken the time to go out and see how powerful it can be. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for example, HubSpot, um, have you explored all of the settings page pages of your app that you're in? If you're, if you're currently paying for Trello or you're currently paying for Slack or you're paying for, whatever else, spend a minute and just look through the settings pages. Um, if you'll spend some time in the settings pages, you'd be surprised how much time you can spend just by flipping a switch one way or the other. Um, 
the software provider, whoever's writing that piece of software, they want to make your life easier, but they also have no idea how to tell you about all of the things that their piece of software can do. It's endless in terms of what's there. So if you start just browsing, like browse, if you're using Dropbox or Google Drive, go look at the settings. You'd be surprised how often the thing that you were just hoping, just hoping, hoping, hoping it would do, it's already in there. There's a button. You just have to turn a button on and it does whatever it was that was, was going to do that's magic or whatever. So, I mean, I, I kind of geek out on it. I'm, I'm a nerd that way. I like to go pick apart and look at all the settings and know how things work. Remember what I told you at the beginning of the podcast. Like, I like to take things apart and see how they work. Um, if you can take a leaf out of that book and just go go browse the settings sections. I mean, if you're constantly frustrated with an ex-boyfriend who's constantly calling you and you want to block his number the dialer app on your phone probably does that you probably don't need to call verizon or whoever it is to get that number blocked like there's probably a setting there where somebody's already made it possible to do what you're wanting to do and you just don't know it yet so yeah. spend some time in the settings settings portions of your apps yeah it's even like zoom allows you to connect your calendar for Microsoft Office, and all of a sudden you have an instant join button for all the calls you're either joining from someone else or that are from your own Zoom account that you're hosting. And if you don't know about that button, you're going back and forth between Outlook or whatever calendar you have and Zoom and spending extra time punching in numbers when you could just be just hitting join, a lovely yep. button of join. Yep. <laughs> that Zoom is a perfect example because Zoom, I, I, as far as settings go, it is so configurable. Yeah. It has got a setting for almost everything under the sun. I, I hate, I would hate to be the guys who program on zoom because there, I mean, just an immense amount of work to, to make every, I mean, I want to make it so that there's a dial tone when people, when people join, I want a ding. When I people join, I don't want a ding. I want to people join. I want all of the people on the call to hear a ding or I want none of the people to hear a ding. When it, I, want, I want to make it so that they have reactions. I want to make sure that they don't have reactions. I want to make it so they can have security. I want to make sure that they don't like, it's amazing. Amazing. And, and that's just one piece of software we're talking about, right? Pretty powerful stuff. It is. I spent six hours on the phone with them the other night learning that there was one little tiny checkbox way built deep into the system that if it's unchecked, the thing I needed to work worked. If it's checked, the thing I needed, no one could log into any of our calls. So it's true. It's everything is very customizable so much to the point that some of their engineers are still surprised at what they're learning. Yep. Well, and, and that's actually, I mean, going back to Google, when I want to change something in zoom, I'll just Google exactly what my question is and most of the time google is faster yeah. than going to even zoom chat right. to to go find out where you're going so you know like we wanted to figure out exactly that i wanted to turn on and off the capability to have breakout rooms inside our meetings and that's a setting you can turn that on or turn it off um and uh just did a quick google search for it poof right to the page and then i didn't have to like go look through all the settings pages. I was able to find where it is, yeah. but yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a powerful way to get in there. It's a powerful way to mess it up for your entire team. If you click the wrong button too. That's true. Yeah. Uh, learning be, lesson. You gotta be, you gotta be careful with the <laughs> buttons you press in there. Yes. Um, yeah. With great power comes great responsibility, right? Of course. Um, you've got to, you've got to know, know what you're doing to some degree or another, but don't be afraid to experiment either. There's a lot of opportunity there. 
Now, you also lead business um, development and sales for a software app development company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, different businesses, but really closely aligned because the software and the apps that you're producing are allowing people to, again, pretty much automate their businesses in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, can you share why so many companies are going in that direction and developing um, subsets of apps or new software applications and what those opportunities look like? Yeah, so um, the position you're talking about is a director of business development for RoundSphere, which is a tech incubator. And my job there is to evaluate new software opportunities that come across the plate and decide whether or not we're going to build a new company um, around the different pieces of software that's there or develop something for ourselves internally. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, software is such a powerful tool because it, it's an aggregate of knowledge that allows you to skip some of the frustrating things that are out there. So, I mean, you look at like Lessonly or one of these other, you know, teaching tools that are out there. It is so powerful um, to be able to go in and see uh, what's out there, what opportunities kind of, kind of push and knock at the door. And if you find the right set of tools or you find the right niche for things, people will happily pay $100, $200 a month to have access to the shortcuts that you've created. So you think about QuickBooks, for example, you know, keeping track of all of those books is quite valuable and people happily pay anywhere from 29 to $200 a month to have access to a system that allows you to put in all of your invoices and keep track of all of your accounts receivable and do all of the different things that go in there. Well, QuickBooks is pretty generic. So if I run like a flower shop, um, you know, I'm going to have to do a lot of work to make QuickBooks fit my needs. But if I, let, let's say that I had a, a version of QuickBooks that was preloaded with all of the possible SKUs associated with that flower shop. Oh, and by the way, it's got a special scanner on it and even an app that you can scan a flower and it'll tell you what kind of flower it is. Well, all of a sudden you found a tool, an accounting tool that you can layer on top of and see where, where that's going. And you've got a, a completely separate SaaS product that can be built and has all the features that QuickBooks has but it also has some custom features or maybe it doesn't, maybe it's missing half the features of what QuickBooks has, but it has some custom features that are specific to that flower shop. And so software is one of those things where you're basically packaging up the shortcuts, the knowledge shortcuts that you have and handing them out to other people and selling them on a monthly basis in exchange for those shortcuts. That is a very succinct way of saying why you should develop software as a company. Yeah, it's, it's an important way. I mean, a lot of the companies, you, you look at 37 Signals, they're the company that built Hi-Rise um, and a couple of these other you know, CRMs and other pieces that way. They built it internally for themselves to begin with. Right. And they said, wow, this is so valuable. I bet you there are other people who want this. Mm -hmm. and, and they were right. And they create multi-million dollar companies that just do that. Right. So if you are developing software to run your business more efficiently, you should be looking at ways that you could potentially white label that software since you're going in with all the time of building it out that it would help someone else and you could profit from it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're using a software system like Bubble um, or one of these other no-code solutions that'll help you like build from the ground up to kind of see what's out there and see you know how things are going. Absolutely. 
um, you, you kind of have to look at that build versus buy, make versus buy model, because there's probably somebody out there who's created something kind of like what you're looking for. Um, but after you've done the research and found mm, there's not really anything out there that does exactly what I want it to do, um, it's not a bad way to go at all. Awesome. Any other last parting words of advice for our listeners today? Don't give up. I, I mean, it, most the, the number one reason that I see people stopping when it comes to automation is they've tried, they spent five to six hours trying to put together what they were looking at, trying to automate something and they get to the end and they just, they forgot that one system or, or one of those things and they give up. They're, they're, they, they say, ah, automation is just not a me thing. I just, I just don't do that very well. That would be my number one piece of advice is don't give up. Sometimes you have to be a little tenacious about it, um, get through some of those hurdles, but um, there's some real power uh, if you'll if you'll keep sticking to it. Will, thank you again. Really appreciate all of your time you spent with us today. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you on our next podcast. <laughs>